Welcome to Brillante, the podcast with a French accent which gives a voice to women who move the lines. My name is Jeanne Dussartel, and between Zurich, where I live, and Paris, where I come from, my goal is to meet the sparkling, powerful, talented and inspiring women with atypical backgrounds and beautiful projects, to understand what drives them and makes them move forward. Discussions that I hope will encourage you to think outside the box, cross your boundaries and develop your own brilliant projects. Aisha van der Per has one mission, to empower women through investments. She has one theory. In order to overcome the inequalities and economic vulnerability that all women may face during their lives, investment is the safe, easy and time-saving way to guarantee a certain economic security. Women actually need to invest more than men to compensate for the financial disadvantages that they face. Like me, I was adapting my career to my husband, so his earnings went straight up, mines were very inconsistent. Making less contributions to pension schemes because we take time off for children, we reduce our employment time. So because of that, it's more important for women to invest privately so that they can compensate for this gap in pension capital. In this interview, Aisha takes her personal example and explains how the loss of her husband, at just 35 years old, made her aware of the necessity to secure her financial situation. Convinced of the need to bring this message to all women and to make them change their vision of that practice that may appear complex and scary, the young woman created her own blog, which then became a real business, investlakeaisha.com. In this interview, you will learn the basic principles to invest the best way in the stock market and listen to all the valuable advice that Aisha shares with each and every one of us. ETF, robo-advisors, diversification, sustainable investment. In one hour, you will understand the basic concepts, which are much less complex than you thought, and you will know how to start your new life as an investor. So don't waste a minute. It's time to listen to this essential interview because you will quickly understand that you should start investing already today. Dear Aisha, thank you very much for accepting my invitation. I'm super happy to have you on Brillant. So today we are going to talk about money. We are going to talk about investments, profitability, also security for women. And uh, I'm super happy to hear your inspiring story to get some of your tips to invest in the best possible way. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really glad to be here. I always start the same way. I always like to know, what did you think when you heard this name, Brillante, for the first time? Well, I'm French speaking, so obviously it resonated with me. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm honored you picked me for this, uh, for this <laughs> episode. And do you have an example of a sparkling woman that you're thinking of when you hear this name, Brillante? I guess the first name that comes to my mind is a bit of a classic. <laughs> It's Sheryl Sandberg. Uh -huh. Because when I read her book, Lean In, many years ago now, it was really a game changer for me. What, what, what did she bring to you? You know, I, I was already in my 30s when I read that book, early 30s. And for me, it was really like someone was explaining exactly what I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. But somehow... I always felt it was kind of me who had an issue or me who was 
doing things not good enough in specific situations at work. And then all of a sudden, it really put a lot of light on what I was experiencing and the whole situation and the context. How would you sum up the thesis that she's describing in this book? Well, you know, I, I guess for me, the most enlightening was more like the... The, f the part where she, you know, she talks about this study, the Harvard case study about mm -hmm. there's this case study uh, at Harvard where they describe a man at work and then describe the same person at work, but they give the name of a woman uh -huh. and then they test the students how they react to it. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, perceive what the man says very differently from what the woman says, even though it's the exact same case study. It's just the name has been changed. And the gender has been changed. And then she talks about that. And then she gives the entire context about, I mean, by now, these things, I mean, we read about them all the time, especially for, you know, a, a young woman today. You know, at least I have the impression that's we all I see. We are aware of these differences, how women ha are expected to behave differently. They are, there's all these biases and everything. But back then, for, for me, it was really someone has actually explained to me what was happening because it was not the case it was not widely discussed it was not a topic yeah it was quite new mm -hmm. it was very new so um, i would like to start talking about the, the the main topic money yes from what i read about you i think that you learned about money at a very young age Uh, your father was teaching you about money. You had to earn your money already at uh, yes. the age of seven, eight, yes. working yes, exactly. in, his, in his company. <laughs> That's interesting. I don't know how you found that, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> And I also read that you were already investing at the age of 17. Uh, yeah, I had a first try, which was uh, not very successful, but yes. <laughs> but which is, I mean, it's quite impressive to be already, I mean, I'm, I'm 27 and I'm, I've never been investing yet. And it's still something that is kind of, scary so mm -hmm. I, at the age of 17 I think it's quite powerful so I wanted to is it coming from your parents actually this relationship to money or yes so you know there are actually many books uh, that talk about that and when I read them I really kind of uh, relate to that and they say that the the money the all relations to money is formed during the seven to eight first years of our lives mm -hmm. so during childhood And the way we were raised about money is not so much about, it's the way our parents talked about money mm -hmm. directly or indirectly to us. So the way we passively or actively kind of learn what is money and how it works, that really continues to affect us the rest of our lives. And we can kind of rewire ourselves to think about it differently if we're conscious about that, but obviously take some work. And when I read that, uh, I was like, yes, I was reflecting on our childhood and my parents didn't actively try to, because I have three sisters, we're four girls, mm -hmm. uh, and my parents didn't actively try to teach us about money, but the way they were talking about it actively or, or, or passively really was helpful, right? So it was really simple things like, you know, you have to work for money. So very early on, if we wanted to buy something, so my father had his own company and he would say, even, you know, at the age of, you know, seven or eight, ah, sure, you can come and uh, do a little bit of work in my company and then I'm going to pay you, you know, like... Uh, it was not like free money. It was, it was not free money. We really yeah. earned it, right? Yeah. And of course, it was not like 
was not like child labor, but it was like we had to do something, a little bit of, you know, mm -hmm. clearing up something. I remember removing some tapes, you know, from some pieces and stuff like that. But then in a way at the time, it felt a bit annoying. Why can't you just give me that? Right. Mm -hmm. But very early on, it became very empowering because I had the impression if I wanted something, I could have it. I just had to go to work. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was not I didn't have to convince my parents to buy it to me. I just had to tell my father, oh, on Saturday, I'm going to come. Can I come and work there because I want to earn some money? And he'll say, yeah, sure, you can come. We're going to I'm going to prepare something for you. That's great. And so how do you do now with your you have two children, I yes. think? Yes. Uh, two boys. Yes. Uh, so how do you do yourself? Well, <laughs> I try to do the same in, in kind of the the spirit Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, the situation is not exactly the same. So it's not like I have, I mean, I have my own company, but it's, it's you know, an online company and my oldest child is eight. So for now, he hasn't really... He cannot help you. Not yet. You know, maybe, you know, in a few years, he can edit some videos or something, right? So, yeah. <laughs> but for now, we're more about, you know, like... Uh, but he could, he could he, do some gardening or something yes, like this. Yes, so we do that inside the house. You know, different tasks have different... Uh, Uh, price uh, attached to it or you know, a kind of salary attached to it and we do that I must say he is not I mean he he really likes the topic of money and I have a lot of books about them for for kids because you know I obviously I like this topic and I'm into it so he really liked that uh, that topic but he's a little bit you know he's not so keen on doing all these tasks he's always trying to do the bare minimum so that he has enough to to buy whatever he wants to buy but what he likes are things like selling things in a in a, you know sometimes we do in the neighborhood uh, you know like a We do an annual party and he likes to sell stuff there. His uh -huh. old toys and then collect the okay. money and then count the money. So you're not the kind of family where we don't talk about money on the no, table? No, of course not. No, I, I try to explain. <laughs> I try to explain about investing. We play games. We play Monopoly, for example. He loves it uh -huh. and counting the money and giving it back and, and really buying the real estate. And I find Monopoly and also real estate in general is very easy to explain to kids as an investment because mm -hmm. it's something concrete. It's something concrete. You know, we buy a house and then, you know, we rent it to other people and they pay us money for being able to live there. So it's easy to understand for children. Yeah, that's true. You, you learn a lot with Monopoly. Mm -hmm. But actually, you started your studies in hospitality. So that was far away from investment. And then you... You, you changed very quickly. Why did you choose to study hospitality? All right. So actually, I only did my internships in hospitality. And then I moved on to real estate investing very, very early on, basically right after I graduated. Right. Yeah. The rest of my career has been in real estate in and finance and investments. Yeah. Yes. But it's, a, it's actually an interesting question. When I was younger, there was a mini series, which is, was a like a reality TV, if you want, mm -hmm. about the Ecole Hôtelière de Lausanne, so the Lausanne Hotel School. And I thought it was fascinating because it was international. It was very high pace. It was very demanding. And it was also very selective. Everyone was dressed up. You have to be in suit to go there. So it yeah. looked very, I don't know, somehow it looked very appealing to me. And I, I really wanted to be Part in this it. international environment as well. 
Yeah. Because I, you know, now I've lived in many countries, I've worked in many countries, I studied in different countries. But up until the baccalaureate, I basically lived in one place, which was a small village in the French part of Switzerland. In Fribourg, right? In Canton Fribourg, yeah. yes. And I was craving this international lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what attracted me there. And it was hospitality, but it was a lot of management. Mm -hmm. And it was really everything I could hope for. It was very international. It was very high paced. It was very demanding. And I learned a lot. I often say, you know, for a long time, I said everything I know, I learned it there. Now, obviously, I'm a bit further. So I've, mm -hmm. I've learned quite this a few more evolving. things along the way. But yeah. uh, it, was, it was a great experience. Now, having said that, while I was there and, you know, towards the end, I realized that I didn't want to work in the industry i like the actually i like the, the the education in the school very much but i didn't see myself in the industry and that was not a problem for you so just mm -hmm. after you 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 moved away from switzerland and you started working in real estate investment yes exactly so actually you know it's a it's a hotel management school and it's very well known and well regarded and a lot of companies hire from there companies that are not in the hospital industry so actually moving into Real estate, especially because, you know, hotels, we uh, part of the education is also about real estate because mm -hmm. hotels are real estate. Mm -hmm. So moving into real estate investments after studying there at the Lausanne Hotel, Hotel School was actually, it made sense, but it was also quite easy to do. Okay. And I was wondering, uh, I think you moved right away, so to Germany, then England, Dubai, New York, and, and, and you've Not been... Not in that order, but yeah. <laughs> you've been moving to many places, yes. and you've been doing this with your, uh, the, your husband at, yes. at the time. Yes. And this is a question that I'd like to ask to my, to my guests that are often like international couples mm -hmm. and uh, that have been yeah, expats moving mm -hmm. uh, around the world. How did you do? to move how is it for a couple today to move in different countries and for everyone to follow their careers all right so actually this was very very challenging in retrospect if i explain yes i went there and i worked there and nah, nah, it seems like it just happened like that and it was easy but actually it was not like that i guess it was very very difficult um so very early on we decided so i always wanted to have a career but we still decided that his career would take the lead Mm -hmm. uh, but the condition was we would only go to places where I could also find a job. Right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, over time, I became relatively good at it. You know, I mm -hmm. kind of finding adapting, a new job, yeah. adapting, finding a new job in a new place and building contact internationally. So that would help me move around. But for the most part, it was a challenge. And, you know, when it was the perfect time for him to to move or he would get the perfect opportunity, all of a sudden I have to, I don't want to say reinvent myself because I kind of always stayed more or less in that in real same. estate investment uh, world. But there, especially, for example, when we moved to New York, this was really a, a very big challenge to, you know, to, to find a job there, to, to work there with the visa issues and somehow managed, but uh, it was... Uh, it you was, joined was EY there, right? Yeah, so... First, I found a job with, the, with a company called the Paramount Group, a real estate investment company. And then after a year or so, I changed. Uh, I got pregnant. We were expecting our first child. And I didn't want to stay there anymore. And so I decided to you know, take some time, welcome our first child, and then look for another job. And what was interesting you at the time in real estate investment? 
So I always like the idea of investing. And what I like about real estate is that it's it's really concrete. It's you know it's practical. It's you can see it. So it's not something like abstract. And I also always like that it's long term. It's mm-hmm. not like you buy, you sell, you buy, you sell, mm-hmm. right? And that's something that for me was always very important. And now that I've basically moved away a little bit from real estate investing and what I do is more related to stock market investing, but still this long-term aspect is really still there. Yeah. So yeah, that's... You, you always push your, your, your clients or the people that are following you to invest for the long yes. run. So for me and all the research out there always comes back to the same key principles mm-hmm. and investing for the long term. It's actually number one and buying, selling, buying, selling, which is often what we have in our mind as we think, you know, ah, the best investors are the traders in New York who buy and sell and buy and sell and they watch the stock market all the time. Then we, many people and especially many women feel, I definitely don't want to do that. But actually all the research shows that investing that way is not the right way to invest. And the really the best way to invest is to invest for the long term in a diversified way and really just keep investing in the same set of index funds and ETFs and just keep at it without selling, without trying to be smart, just investing continuously and basically being exposed to the stock market. I understand. We are going to come back to mm-hmm. all your, your, your tips and, and tricks mm-hmm. to, to invest the best way after. But when you left the real estate investment, I read you saying that the essence of your work back then was to make people rich, even richer. And so I heard you being quite critical about it, about the work that you had been doing. What do you think now when you when you look back at what you said at the time? Are you still critical to some extent to investment? And first, I want to say, you know, the job I had before I you know started my blog and then my company and giving courses, I actually really enjoyed that job. Mm-hmm. What I didn't like was the environment overall. This big bank environment and all the rules and the way business was conducted. I always liked real estate. I always liked real estate private equity, which is what I was doing. And there were many things in the role that I had where I was confronted more to the wider banking environment. Mm -hmm. And this I was growing increasingly uncomfortable with. And that was a major uh, reason for me when I really had to make the decision at some point, do you want to, do I want to pursue what I'm doing online or do I stay in the past that I was in and because I was so uncomfortable in that environment more and more in the banking environment at some point I was like I know that financially right now this decision doesn't make sense but I just cannot see myself here for another 25 years. So you decided to become an entrepreneur and to create your own company? Yes. Now Obviously, I didn't, you know, decide one day and leave one day. You know, I I started the blog and I started then making presentations and I was still working. Right. And at some point I was like, okay, this is not sustainable because I'm also a single parent. I'm working full time and then I have the blog and it was just way too much. Right. So I decided to reduce my employment time from 100 to 60 Mm-hmm. And this was actually a very hard decision. And it was a harder decision than actually leaving to do my business full time. And the reason is that as long as I was working 100 percent, 
I was on a career path. From the moment I reduced to 60%. You it know. was like a sign for the company that you would not yes, go further. Exactly. Yeah. Now, obviously, if you know, if I would have you know done that, and then after a year or two, I would be like, no, okay, what I wanted to do is not going to work out. I'm, I want to come back to 100%. My boss would have really uh, welcomed me back at 100%, and I could have continued. So I still had this kind of safety net and flexibility. Flexibility. But really decreasing to 60% was really a statement saying, mm -hmm. I'm going to now shift my focus to what was my side activity. And you, you took this step, like this middle step, because you wanted to have more security? Yes, it was financial. But were you uh, scared? Like and becoming... I was very scared, of course. You know, at the time, my blog was a blog. It was not generating any money. Yeah, right? that's the thing. And I'm a single parent. Living in Switzerland is very expensive, especially with children. So mm -hmm. it was very scary and I had a good job I was I was making good money you know and I also I had a profit share in the in you know the funds of the company which is kind of the holy grail everyone yeah. wants to have that yeah. right so it seemed like it was very big step to walk away from that so let's talk a bit more about what is exactly your business and what pushed you to mm -hmm. go in this direction. Mm -hmm. I met you actually in a conference in Zurich at a sustainable investment event. And you explained that it was when you lost your husband that you realized that women were extremely vulnerable financially. Can you explain this a bit? What happened to you and what did you realize then? Yes. So when I was 35, my husband was 33. We had moved back from New York to Switzerland, and we had been there for a bit over two years. He had his, his job, his career. I had my job, my career. We had our son, and I was expecting our second child. So it was very, very busy. <laughs> it was not always easy to manage all of that. But looks like the perfect family. Well, I, I don't know if I can say perfect, but it felt like if 15 years before I had imagined my life, it looked like the way I had imagined it, let's mm -hmm. say. And, and then suddenly, so something really terrible happened and really unexpected. So he had a, a road accident and he, he died that night. So obviously it was very, very, very difficult, like a big shock, emotionally very difficult for, for, for me, for my son. I was pregnant at the time, seven months pregnant for a family. So my, my husband was an only child. So for his parents, of course, very, very difficult. And in the middle of all of this, you know, difficult times, what came in very quickly was all these financial topics. You know, all of a sudden I got very scared because we had just bought a house and all of a sudden I'm, you know, by myself. Then all of a sudden I have to figure out, okay, so what does it mean in terms of survivor benefits you know it mm -hmm. never ever crossed my mind and you know we realized that because we had been living the expat life it's very hard to qualify for much or anything in these countries and also in Switzerland so I'm a Swiss citizen I grew up in Switzerland and yet because my husband didn't pay the social security for many years because we were living abroad I get you know reduced benefits from Switzerland. And then for many countries, you know, for example, in Belgium, they say, well, you know, your Swiss salary is way too high. So you don't get, don't. you don't get much, right? Then I realized that actually as a woman, and especially as a woman who lives the expat life, we are very exposed. And 
even if you think about it, my situation was very advantageous in the sense that my husband had a good job and I had a good job too. It was less scary because I had my job. Uh, at the same time, it was redefining everything, right? And redefining the lifestyle. And it really made me aware how as women, especially if when we have children, we are much more uh, you know, at risk of financial difficulties, even if we kind of do everything right. And by everything right, I mean getting a good education, uh, getting a good job, working hard, trying to make it work, you know, balancing career and family life. And then still I felt very unprepared for, for what happened. And why is it, especially as a woman, because we could expect that it would have been also very difficult if it was the other way around. What makes women more vulnerable? Well, the other way around is, of course, also very difficult, but I think financially is typically a bit less difficult. And the reason is that, you know, like, what, what did I do? I adapted my career to my husband's career. Yeah. A lot of women, they follow their husband. And I was fortunate that somehow I managed to keep it up, even though it was really hard. When I say keep it up, I mean keep my career going. But my career had really ups and downs in terms of jobs, but also in terms of salary, mm -hmm. right? And in terms of contributions to the pension system. While my husband's career was like straight up. And so when the man passes, the woman typically either ha is working part-time or she had maybe a, a career, but she interrupted it. She, you know, she, she had a baby and she, she had stopped a, baby a few and she stopped. So it's, it's less likely that, you know, that the woman is full on working and, you know, very high in her career. But if it's the other way around, even though obviously it's very challenging for a man to end up alone, financially, he's still on his career path. Yes, I heard you saying that on average, like women retire with 40% less yes. than men. Yes, there are many studies that show that across the Western world, that women retire with a lot less than men. Many studies show something like 40% less. And that's an issue because we have a f about 50% divorce rates or separation rates. And women on top of that live longer than men. So yeah. how does the math work, right? Well, it doesn't work so well. At the end of the day, it's very common for women to end up in financial difficulties later in life, even if they, you know, they kind of follow the path that was normal, right? That they were supposed to do, right? And so I feel I experienced that or I went through a situation, obviously, which is not so common, luckily, but I feel I was exposed to a situation that often happens to women later in life. Yeah. And so for you, as an investment expert at the time, uh, you realized that investment mm -hmm. could be the solution to fight yes. this vulnerability in a way. Yes. So at the time, I was working with, uh, with investments and I was investing myself, but I was investing a little bit, you know, the... the Slow path or... Uh, well, yeah. I was investing, like, you know, I was reading about some companies and I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to invest in that company. And it was a little bit random. And so when this happens, you know, it redefined so many things in my life and the way I was, I was looking at life. And then I decided, okay, I want to really tackle my financial situation. I want to really take it seriously because what has happened until then is that 
I was so busy that and I was never making a priority to do it better and to... You know. It takes a lot of energy. Yes. I mean, just it looks like at least when you are not into it, it seems like it's really time consuming. Well, and it, it is if we do it the suboptimal way. Mm-hmm. But again, like what the research says is that investing is actually a long-term boring game. And when you know in what to invest and how to do it, once you've implemented it, it's really not time consuming. It's the opposite. The most parts run automatically and you just have to keep an eye on it. You just have to make a few adjustments, uh, you know, a couple of times a year. But once you have the right setup, it's really easy and it doesn't take any time. And, you know, so I did some, some, further research on all of that. And I really started implementing these things for myself. I became more and more into that topic. And I was talking to friends and colleagues and it really striked me that, of course, I had an interest in this and I had been investing before. So for me, making these adjustments were actually... It was not such a big thing? No, it was easy to do. It was easier than what I was doing before, quite frankly, right? And then when I was talking to friends and they were like, yeah, but you know, it's easy for you because you're a financial professional, so you can do that. But you know, for me, it's really not my field. I don't know anything about it. So, you know, it's it's really not for me. And I was trying to explain that, you know, actually, it's a lot easier than Than you you think to do it the right way. And at some point, I felt this mission that I need to share that information. And part of what was troubling me in the banking environment that I was, was that all the information that's given is mostly in the interest of the bank. Clearly, they are in business. They have to, you know, make money. They have to make money. They have to have business, which uh, I can understand. But if you look at what the research says is best, it's very often in contradiction to the services they propose. And by that, I would say uh, the biggest factor or the biggest thing is the fees that they charge. Mm -hmm. And there are ways to invest at a very low cost. And so I felt kind of compelled to start this blog and share this information on how you can actually do that in a way that is cost effective, which is probably the second most important factor is to invest at a low cost with low fees for building wells or for growing your savings over time. And so you focus your blog for women? Mm-hmm. And why was it, I mean, I, underst- I understood that for you was a concern that as a woman, you felt in a more difficult situation, mm-hmm. but are women so bad in investing compared to men? Well, actually, women are better investors than men. Mm-hmm. The thing is, many of them don't invest at all, and they believe they are less good. But the research shows that you know, if you compare the performance of a man and a woman, after 30 years, the women end up with 25% more on average than the man. So that was also part of what I felt was my mission to kind of bring this message across that we have this feeling, we tend to have this feeling because whatever, stereotypes. Uh, what, what are these stereotypes? Let's just talk about it. You know, when we watch movies, all our lives we've been watching movies of traders, male traders behind screens, buying and selling, and, you know, the wolf of, lo- of uh, Wall, Wall Street, Street uh, etc. And we internalize that. So first of all, what we see is not the right way to invest. But then secondly, when we look at these movies, it's only men, right? And then there is this, uh, you know, thing that uh, we feel like, 
I'm not good with numbers. And that comes from childhood, you know, like typically boys are encouraged more towards math and girls much less so, you know. So it's, there are many factors that are more like cultural and mm -hmm. from society that really kind of push boys and men towards this engineering, banking degrees and women more towards this HR teaching things. Now, mm -hmm. I'm, obviously, I'm, it's a bit of a general... There is also maybe this idea of money, actually, like for men, it's maybe more acceptable to, yes. to earn money and... Yes, I mean, obviously, this is a very uh, big topic and uh, th there are a lot of elements to it. L like you mentioned, so for men to talk about investing and money, it's cool, right? But for women, we have this more... And this also comes from, the from our childhood where we should be caring we should work for free we should you know if yeah. so as much as my parents did very well i find when they they raised us especially you know like uh, in relation to this topic of money i remember when we would go to some relatives where they would invite us for dinner or something like that or lunch my father would say i have all my daughters they can do the they can wash the dishes Mm -hmm. Right. This would never be said to the boys in the family. Never. Right. So it's kind of this upbringing that we have that we have to serve, that our time is less valuable, that we're here to help. So I guess, yeah, it's a bigger topic. But obviously there are many, many things at play that in the end mean that women feel uncomfortable about money. They don't like to talk about it. They think people who try to have more money are greedy. They are mean. But it's not everybody like that, but there is a tendency to feel that way. And it's actually, it's quite the opposite. Women should invest to kind of protect themselves. Yes. To build security. Yes, it's a, it's a paradox because women actually need to invest more than men to compensate for the financial disadvantages that they face. Like me, I was adapting my career to my husband. So his earnings went straight up. Mines were very inconsistent making less contributions to pension schemes because we take time off for children, we reduce our employment time. So because of that, it's more important for women to invest privately so that they can compensate for this gap in pension capital. But at the same time, because of these cultural norms, women invest less frequently. And when they invest, they also invest lower percentage than men. And on top of that, they often invest in very low risk strategies, which unfortunately mean that over time, the money doesn't grow that much. Yeah. So actually, if you could share with us the best practices, how we should invest. First of all, when can we start investing? How much money do we need to start investing? That's a good question. Much less than you think. Right. So and ideally, you will start as soon as possible, as soon as you have an income, as soon as you have money to invest, because One of the biggest principles of investing, and I know, I guess, oh, this is the biggest, this is the biggest. But anyway, what I was saying at the beginning, investing for the long term is very important. The reason is called compounding interest. Compounding interest is a mathematical formula that means that once you've been investing for many years, you, the return on your portfolio accelerates. And typically, it starts being noticeable after 10 years. Mm -hmm. So an easy uh, way to explain it is that when you invest, you start getting dividends. And then a year later, you also get dividends, but you get dividends on the money you've invested, but you start getting dividends on the dividends, dividends you that got. you had received and reinvested the previous year, right? And at the beginning, this is really peanuts, this dividends of dividends. But the longer you invest, the more 
it accelerates. And as of 10 years, this really starts shooting up. And this is how you can really grow your savings. Now, unfortunately, most people try investing and then they see at some point the stock market crashes because the stock market is cyclical. So it always crashes Crashes at at some some point. point on average every three years. And then they get scared and then they're like, oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that again. So they don't give it the time for the compounding interest to start. And then another reason for investing in the long term is that, yes, there is a stock market crash every three years on average. Sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's shorter. But if you give it time, you get past this cyclicality. So investing for the short term, five years or less, is too risky. So I often say, if you're going to invest for less than five years, don't bother. Ideally, you want to invest for 10 years or more so that you really lower the risks and you start really taking advantages of the compounding effects, which means your returns really accelerate and your money is really growing. Okay, so as young as possible, as soon as possible. And do we need 100 francs or Yeah, so that was your original question. So you can start investing with very little. So it depends on in which country you live. But we are here in Switzerland. So in Switzerland, you can invest with uh, with as low as one franc if you have a, a job and you have a half hour income, mm-hmm. as we say. You can invest with you know a provider like VIAC, which is a, a third pillar provider, a low cost third pillar provider, and they will take you for one franc. So you can start, you can make you know monthly payment of 25 bucks if you want, right? So you can start with really little. And then outside of the third pillar, you... The third pillar is something really Swiss? Is, yes. It's for the retirement? Yes. It's or... like a tax-deductible retirement account that you can do. And then you have other ways to invest. You know, obviously, you, you could start very low with going to Germany, but this is a little bit, you know, <laughs> you need a little bit more planning for that. But if you really want to start off, you can start in Switzerland with a robo-advisor with 2,000 Swiss francs. So I would say... If you have a job, start directly with the tax-deductible uh, 3A pillar pension account. And other than that, as soon as you have 2,000 bucks, you can really get started. Okay. And what kind of investments are they, actually? Because yeah. we understood that you focused on the stock market. Mm-hmm. That was one of the, my original questions that I wanted to ask you. Why did you focus on the stock market mm-hmm. when you were coming from real estate? Mm-hmm. I come from France, where everyone... All of my friends have one goal is to buy a house mm-hmm. or an apartment, which is not the case in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Yourself, you chose to buy a house also. Mm-hmm. How do we make choices like this? Ah. What kind of investment? Yeah, and I guess the advantage of the stock market is that you can enter with 2000 which is not Exactly. The... Yeah. So that's one of the things. So you know, obviously each market is different, but one great thing about the stock market, I mean, there are many, there are many advantages. In a way, it sounds scary, just a word. Stock market sounds scary, yeah, right? it is. <laughs> but actually, when you do it the right way, based on what the research says, it's not that scary. So on the and long it's not, run, yes. Yeah. In the long run, when done the right way, it's actually not as risky as you think in the long run. It's very risky if you invest for two years. This is really risky. If you invest for more than 10 years the right way, then your risk is really acceptable. Mm-hmm. So why do I choose the stock market? So many reasons. The first is you can start very quickly with very little money and you can invest as you go progressively over time, which you cannot do with real estate. And then another thing is, you know, buying real estate is a lot of work, whether you buy it as your home 
or you buy it to rent it out, which is also it's great. You know, I've been in that in that world for more than ten years, twelve years, and it's a great way to invest, but it's not accessible to everybody, and it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's not like to find the right place. You to, have to exactly. Yeah. You have to find the right place, and then when you have to buy it, it's like you know, it's not like oh, you just place a transaction and it's done. And then you have to find tenants and then your tenants, they complain and then you have to repair and repaint. Uh, you know, it's a much more time consuming way to invest than if you invest in the stock markets consistently over time for the long run. And as women, we are very busy people, right? We uh, care for children. Many of us still work and juggling the two is very hard. So finding the time to invest in real estate and really manage it actively the way you should Of course, it's doable, you know, and I have I have two sisters who do that. And I think it's great. But at the same time, it's not accessible and it's not doable for, you know, for, for a lot them. of women. Whereas investing consistently over time in the stock market is a lot less time consuming and also gives very good results over the long term. So what would be the three advices, maybe three to five points that you would just if we can recap just a bit? Mm -hmm. So the first one, as we discussed, we've talked about many times, is to invest for the long term, at least 10 years. Mm -hmm. The second one is to really watch out for fees. And that's something that often when we go to the bank and we look, you know, we see or we don't even see it like 1%, uh, 0.5%, 0.25% uh, extra for this and whatever. And we don't really think about it. But actually, these percentages, even if they seem small, they really add up. And over time, it represents like half the money. It's basically half, sometimes less, sometimes more, often more, especially if you invest in some kind of life insurance investment policy mm -hmm. or whatever. It's more than half the money you should have had in the end you don't get because the bank took the fee. So this one, 1% turns into half of your money. Yes, exactly. It's crazy. Yes, okay. it's crazy. But it is like that over time if you model it in Excel and stuff like that. Okay. And so long-term, low fees... The other thing is to be diversified and then invest on a, in a passive way so as to be exposed to the general stock market instead of trying to pick companies mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to wait for the right time to invest in a company and then wait for the right time to sell, you know, trying to do that doesn't work. Of course, you can get lucky a few times, but yeah. over time, it doesn't work very well. But if you invest in a passive way and you can do that with uh, with ETFs uh, quite so easily. So ETFs are kind of uh, gathering some, some different shares from different yes. companies, right? So for What is it exactly so for people who don't know? Yes. So an ETF is uh, stands for an exchange traded fund. And basically, it's a fund that invests in different companies. And rather than picking companies or rather than having a portfolio manager or trader who tries to pick the right companies at the right time and sell them at the right time for the portfolio, it's investing in an entire sector. Or like famous ETF, uh, for example, is the MSCI World. And it's, a, it's an index. And based on this index, ETFs are put together and sold to investors. And in these ETFs, you, know, you have the 1,600 largest companies listed in the stock market in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's what you invest in. You don't try to pick the right ones. You just yeah. invest in these 1,600 companies. Yeah. And then what happens in effect is that you are investing in the stock market as a whole. You just have the 
performance of the stock market, the yeah. average performance of the stock market. So you balance the risk also. Yes. So first of all, you diversified across many companies. So if one goes bust or does very poorly, you can be sure some others will do very well. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to be more diversified, more balanced. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, I think one one of the key things with ETF is that you don't try to be smart because it's counterintuitive. But the smarter you try to be, the worse is your performance for a whole set of reasons. And one of the re of these reasons is that to invest actively, buying, selling, buying, selling, you have a lot of transaction fees. Mm -hmm. If a bank is doing that on your behalf or in a fund sold by the bank, which is an actively managed fund where there are traders and portfolio managers and research teams who analyze companies and make these decisions, buy and sell and buy and sell. And to have these people to manage this portfolio and do all this research is very expensive because these are expensive people with high salaries. And you need a compliance team and you need a risk management team and you need to, you know, all of this. So for that, they need to charge high fees. But again, as we've discussed it, having low fees mm -hmm. is very it's important. One of the main, yeah. So that's why re uh, studies after study after study shows that if you invest in the stock market through ETFs, widely diversified uh, ETFs, in the end for several factors, but mostly because of the fees, you have a higher performance in the end. And there is something that uh, I like about the ETFs is that you can choose some kind of sustainable yes. ETFs, yes. which is one of your also yes. of your main topics, yes. which I find personally important because I, I don't want to, to invest in a company that is uh, financing the war uh, mm -hmm. somewhere in the world. Mm -hmm. so, yes. um, so you can actually choose to invest for, uh, I don't know, ecological uh, companies or for gender equality yes. or... Yeah, this is something that you are really pushing for, right? Yes, exactly. So, you know, earlier in my career or when I started investing, I was a bit of a, I guess, a product of my environment to some extent. And this for me was not so, I was not so keen on that. And then when after uh, my husband passed, you know, he redefined everything and I, I start, started really looking at things differently and also researching more. And then I realized that actually, you know, what I thought, which was, If you invest in sustainable companies, you're doing some kind of halfway charity, which means your returns are lower. Mm -hmm. It's actually not the case. No. Yeah, actually returns are really good, right? The returns are the same or higher based on the research that's out there. So if it's the same or higher, why wouldn't you do it? And then I felt that especially for women who often have this negative view of money and this negative view of the stock market and finance in general, Just the idea that you can actually invest in a way that's in alignment with your values is really motivating, mm -hmm. right? And really kind of change the game completely. It does. Because then yeah. you feel that your money is having a purpose. It's, you're not just investing to get rich, you know? And I don't like this thing. It's not, it's not to get rich. It's to get financially secure. But there is still this connotation that people who invest are greedy and they just want to get rich and it's kind of this no negative connotation and then the other aspect of it is that we actually collectively we have the power to support the companies that are doing the right thing that are doing the things that we care about and that's really it's actually happening now more and more capital and investment money from from people but especially also from pension funds and insurance companies They are investing in these sustainable 
investment strategies and ETFs and funds. And this is really pushing the companies who don't qualify for, you know, to be included because they are not sustainable enough to really up their game. Yeah, so you can it feels, really have an impact with your yes, money. Yes, collectively, we can have an impact with our money, which is very motivating. Now, obviously, it's also not perfect. It's, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a, a new field. I mean, now it has been around for a few years, but it's a developing field in finance. So it's not all perfect. There are people who, who complain or criticize that. Why is this ETF says it's sustainable? If I look at the companies that, that's in there, I don't find them that sustainable, right? Yeah. So, And then from one index to the other, the companies that are included are different. Some include this company, some don't. So it's not perfect, but still it's... it's so let going me say in, the, that in the right direction. It's going in the right direction. Exactly. It's a step. It's a statement. So I'm really, I'm really into that topic. And my last question about investing before going to the final questions, mm -hmm. what do you think about robo-advisors? Yes. So I'm a big fan. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm a big fan because they allow us to invest at a low cost in an automated way, which low cost being one of the main principles to follow. And then automated way, which is uh, really great for everybody, but especially for a busy woman like you and me <laughs> and yeah. many others. So it's basically allowing us to basically invest in a way that's consistent with what the research says, investing consistently over time without having too much work to do, actually, and at a low cost. It's not a problem that if everyone is going to do it and it's not going to create like some kind of difficult situations if everyone is using the same robot or if everyone no, is... So if everyone is using the same robot, that's... Or like if a lot of people are using this, the robots themselves, that's not an issue at all. Okay, because what do the robot do? They just, it's a, basically an automatic way to invest in the stock market. Instead of you going on a trading platform and placing a transaction, the robot is basically doing that for, for you. you. So in that sense, that doesn't change anything. You know, it's like if you do like an automatic payment from your salary account to your saving accounts, if everyone does that, it's not, it doesn't change anything, yeah. right? Then there, there, are some people who question what happens if everyone or a large majority of people start investing in the stock market using ETFs. So if everyone is just investing in the stock market at yeah. large, how does that work? Right? Well, you kind of, everyone is supporting the same companies yes. in a way and, yeah. and some exactly. companies got forgotten. Yes. Yeah. So definitely there is, uh, there is, there are some, some people who, who talk about that. I think what we've seen since more and more people are investing in passive strategies, in ETFs, uh, and index funds, et cetera, is that, you know, before when you had the, the market going up and the, especially a stock market crash, it was a bit more progressive. And now because of all this algorithm investing, all this automatic investing, you know, it goes straight up and straight down and straight up. It's much faster. Yeah. In a way, it's also scarier. And this is one of the effects of having more people investing in passive strategies and, you know, in automatic ways and algorithms and yeah. etc. Now, at the same time, you know, there is this famous book that's called This Time It's Different. And it's a book that looked at over 100 years of stock market investing in history and all the you know stock market going up and the crashes and what was happening in the economy and in politics etc at the time and 
every time, at every period in history, there were people who were saying, yes, but this time it's different because of Mm -hmm. uh, the internet uh, revolution, because of the industrial revolution, because of globalization, because of, you know, whatever. There was always some kind of reasons why now it's different. And yet, if you look at historical returns over 30 years, 60 years, 100 years, you always kind of get over a long period of time the same returns if you invest in the stock market as a whole, right? And the book makes the point that we always have this feeling that this time is different, but research shows that actually in terms of returns, it's very consistent. Yeah. So if we, if I, if I want to invest in, in an ETF, thanks to a robot advisor mm-hmm. that is supporting women and uh, sustainability, mm-hmm. what would you recommend? So there are, I mean, I list a few on my website, on my blog. I have an article where, you know, I I cover a few in Switzerland and in Europe as well. So, you know, you're welcome to to look at that. Uh, On on the investlikeaisha.com? On investlikeaisha.com. That's Mm -hmm. my my website. And so you're welcome to to look at that. And I would say, you know, don't wait. (laughs) That's the worst (laughs) you can do. (laughs) Pick one and go for it. Because many women who follow me and who read the articles and they are like, yeah, they do that, but then they still have so many more questions. And because of that, I've created a program, a course, which, you know, in which I go in much more details about every platform. So every robo advisor for what are the characteristics, for who do they work best, uh, which one I recommend, in which country and uh, also, you know, really going deeper on the principles on how to calculate how much you need to invest for your retirement, how to plan which ETFs to choose on which platforms, etc. So and if then, you want to become experts. So, yeah, well, experts, I, I don't know, that is, you, you don't need to become an expert, but, you know, it's really to really get knowledgeable. And especially when you feel knowledgeable, you feel much more confident about investing your money. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really one of the key things because you can read my blog and you will get a good idea of, you know, how it works and what are the principles. I also have a free email course that I inv- invite uh, everyone to, to, to sign up for, which really cover the, the right principles to follow. And you can do that and you will understand what you need to do. Now, exactly how to do it and finding the courage to actually do it. It's a lot easier if you have a bit more background knowledge. Mm-hmm. And, and you feel secure and you feel secure and you, you know, it's a group program. So you can interact with the others. You see the others are investing. So it's a bit, you know, it helps you take the leap. They can ask me questions and I answer them. So that's, that's why I have the program. Yeah. But a good starting point is to head to the blog and, you know. And find this article yes, where, where, exactly. I can, where I can find the exactly. right robot advisor. Yeah. Great. Let's move now to the final <laughs> questions. What are you proud of? Proud of? Well... I'm proud of my two boys, obviously. <laughs> First thing that comes to my mind. But other than that, if I look where I was almost four years back when, uh, when my husband had the accident and where I am today, it's very big evolution from a personal point of view, from a professional point of view, from a mindset point of view. And, you know, there is still a lot in front of me. I have, you know, a lot of... Uh, a lot of things I want to do and I want to develop, you know, what I'm doing now, the blog and the course much further. And so, you know, my uh, my work is definitely not done, but I'm really, I'm really happy how things have 
evolved. It was a lot of hard work and a lot of hard decisions as well. And now, you know, I'm glad how things are going. Yeah, you can. What would you do if you were a man for 24 hours? Oh, and that never crossed my mind. <laughs> What would I do if I was a man for 24 hours? I don't know. I guess I would just do the same as I'm doing, uh, in, especially with regards to my kids, right? So, yeah. <laughs> I don't have much of an answer. Sorry. Do you have a, a book, a movie, uh, something that has been inspiring you in the last few weeks that you would like to share? Yes. There is this book that I've read over the holidays. It's called Women Are Worth It from Sarah Jenneker Misch. And it really does a good job at explaining a little bit everything that we've talked about today, <laughs> except you have to take me out of the picture, of course. And it's a book we're actually going to discuss in April or May in my book club on investing for, for women. On um, It's called the She Invest Book Club. It's a Facebook group. Every two months, we have a book discussion online. And uh, you're, you're welcome to join. don't know if you're in there already. Great. No, I'm okay. not, but great. <laughs> and, so uh, you recommend everyone to, to read the book and then you have a discussion with everyone who read the book? Yes, exactly. And for this book, she's actually the author is actually going to join us. So it's going to be fantastic. We have another... Uh, we have another few books scheduled, all great books. And we have the, uh, every now and then we, we manage to get the author for the book discussion. So it makes it very interesting. Super nice. Last question. Who would you like to hear on this podcast? Vice President Kamala Harris. I guess it's a bit <laughs> ambitious. Okay. So, I would love this too. Yes. Um, <laughs> other than that, is maybe someone more local. Or maybe, oh, you know who would be great, but also may maybe a little bit high profile. Christine Lagarde. Yes. Yeah, agreed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I will get there at some point. Yeah. Thank you very much, Aisha. It was a pleasure to have you. You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Have a nice afternoon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks to you. Who listened to this episode until the end. If you liked it, and if you want to help me grow Brilliant, it's very simple. Just subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform and share it with as many people around you as possible or on your social networks. This is really a great help for me. Merci à toi et à bientôt sur Brilliant.